may remember the uh, old TV series, Mission Impossible. More likely, you're familiar with the, the movies by that title. And in those movies, there's a character, Ethan Hunt, and he works for a secret government agency that does all sorts of espionage work. And so he will get some operation that he's responsible to, to carry out or to complete. And you'll remember when he gets that operation, this is the statement that he always gets. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. This is your mission should you choose to accept it. Now it's clear that the Lord Jesus has given us a mission. He's given us a, a call, a responsibility, but he doesn't add that should you choose to accept it part. Maybe you've noticed that. As you've read scriptures, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, uh, the Lord very clearly spells out the mission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what's the mission of the church or what's the mission of believers? Well, every person who knows Jesus and is The Lord puts believers together and and church families. The call is to make Jesus known. It's to make disciples. It's to tell others about the Lord Jesus. That is the mission. Well, undoubtedly, as we look at the world around us, we see all sorts of brokenness. We see it in our own lives, truly. But we see it in the people that we live around. A lot of hurt, a lot of pain. And the reality is this. Those of us who know the Lord Jesus will get serious about the mission that God has given us. People are going to come to know Jesus and lives are going to be changed and and healing can come and and brokenness can be made whole. That's what the Lord does, doesn't he? Doesn't he take broken and messed up lives and remake them? Isn't, Isn't that our story? And so God clearly has given us a mission. Now, how does all this tie into Nehemiah? Well, as we continue our study through Nehemiah, you'll remember that the walls of Jerusalem were were devastated. They were a mess. The reason is because God's people, Judah, they had disobeyed God. And and because of their disobedience, God had brought a a judgment through the nation of Babylon. Uh, A group of, uh, of, of those from Judah was taken captivity into Babylon back in 605 and another group in 597 B.C. And then finally in 586 B.C., Babylon came and they wiped the temple out. They destroyed the city of Jerusalem and they carried off most of the people into Babylon. So God's people were living in captivity. Well, God raised up the Persian Empire. The Persians came and and they captured or conquered the Babylonian Empire. And the Persians permitted God's people to return to Judah. And so Zerubbabel led a group back in 538 B.C. And then another group went back led by Ezra in 458 B.C., and then finally Nehemiah would lead a group back in 445 B.C. So God's people would be returning and beginning to rebuild. The temple was rebuilt in 515 B.C. At this point in our journey, we'll be in Nehemiah chapter 2, and you'll remember we talked about last week, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. This was a really important position because the cupbearer to the king was with the king a lot. And for that reason, often there was a good relationship. He would have the ear of the king. In many ways, you could think of the cupbearer as being on the front lines, uh, sort of like a secret service agent is. Why? Because the cupbearer helped to protect the king, helped to make sure that, that assassination attempts or coups against the king didn't occur. He would test what the king drank. 
to ensure that it hadn't been poisoned. And so the cupbearer was a critical role. It was a critical role in the Persian government. So Nehemiah was there serving the king in the castle. It was a, it was a grand situation for, for Nehemiah. He had a, a great position, a position of influence and power. But a group came from Jerusalem. And this group told Nehemiah how terrible things were in Jerusalem. Nehemiah asked them, how are things going back in Jerusalem? And Nehemiah heard about how the city was devastated and how the people were were living in in fear and, and it was a horrible situation. And Nehemiah was brokenhearted as we've talked about the last couple of weeks. He just fell down and he began to pray and to weep and to mourn and called out to God on behalf of the people of Jerusalem. Well, some months later, after fasting and praying, Nehemiah had come up with a plan and he had decided that he was going to approach the king. Now, you'll remember during this time period that a king could decide that he didn't want you to mess with him. As we see in the book of Esther, Esther was fearful to approach the king, her own husband, for fear that he might not be in the mood to mess with her. And so here, Nehemiah approaches the king on behalf of the people of Jerusalem. It was a a grand act of faith and trust in the Lord. But let's look together at Matthew 2, beginning in verse 5. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a little time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I ask, for the good hand of my God was upon me. In this passage, we see the call to action so that the walls of Jerusalem might be rebuilt and the people of God rescued. In, in, verse, in verse 5, you see Nehemiah saying to the king, let me go back. Let me go back and, and return to my people. And the king asks, well, how long do you want to be gone? And so they're having this conversation. And Nehemiah says, hey, listen, will you send letters with me that... that show the, the neighboring peoples that what I'm doing is authorized. That allow, These letters would allow us to pass through. They would allow us to access wood and, and timber for building. And so Nehemiah had developed a plan. He had been praying. He had developed a plan. And now courageously he had approached the king. And he recognizes that the king granted what he asks. But he knew ultimately that it was God's good hand at work. That's what, that's what Nehemiah says clearly. He trusted God. He, he believed God. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that you're up in an airplane. And there in that plane, you're getting ready to skydive. Now some of you have gone skydiving, but probably most of us haven't. But you're there in that plane. It's way up high. You've got a parachute on and you're about to jump out of that plane. When you jump out of that plane, at the moment you do, you're trusting you're trusting that that parachute's going to work, right? You're, you're having faith that that parachute is going to work. Here, Nehemiah jumps out of the plane. Why? Because he's trusting that God is with him. He's trusting that God isn't going to let him down, that, that God 
It's going to be right beside him in the midst of this jump, if you will. Let's look together at verses 9 and 10. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So here Nehemiah is traveling through. He comes to these various leaders and he gives them uh, the letters that the king gave that authorized what was occurring. Now Sanballat was the governor of Samaria. We know that because of the Elephantine papyri. This is an extra biblical document from 407 BC that mentions Nehemiah and mentions Sanballat. And Sanballat is referred to as Samaria. Now this 407 document is happening about 38 years after the events. In other words, it's written about 38 years after the events occurred. I mention this as an aside to say to you, this is but one example of countless examples that the word of God is true. You see, this is a corroborating document, not a a biblical document. But what we see in scripture turns out to have its roots in history. Incidentally, it is good for us to have confidence in the word of God as being the very word of God, the true An absolutely faithful word of God. And this is just an example. Again, there are countless examples as you look at at archaeology and and other uh, uh, artifacts. So back to the text. You've got Samballot, you've got Tobiah, and they're not happy about what's going on. They are very unhappy that, that somebody's trying to build up the Israelite people. And I guess this is sort of like going outside on a South Texas evening. There's always going to be mosquitoes buzzing around, isn't there? No matter, no matter how much you wish, those things would disappear. They're, they're always there. A lot of them. And so here, Nehemiah is striving to carry out the work of God, and already there's trouble. It's inevitable, isn't there? It's inevitable. There's always trouble. When we seek to serve God, when we seek to follow God and do what God has called us to do, there will always be opposition. There will always be trouble. It's the nature of life in a Genesis 3 world, in a fallen world, where, where things are broken and messed up and where, honestly, where every one of us are, are sinners. And so, so we see trouble, we see a hint of trouble, we'll see more in a bit. Okay, let's continue reading. Verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. So what we see here, Nehemiah is developing a plan, a strategy. Notice that Nehemiah is getting up in the middle of the night. He's, he's going where he's undercover. Why does he do that? Well, probably because he wants to come up with a clear plan before he lays it out. Because he anticipates the possibility that somebody's going to go, Ah, oh, that'll never work. You can't do this. What about that? He wants to have looked at and understood the challenges that are before him. And made sure that he's thought about them and addressed them. And, and even beyond that, perhaps Nehemiah feared that there would be those among the Jews who had allegiances to those who were opposed to the Jews. 
And so there was some possibility that if he made his, known, his plans uh, known and public, that enemies, the enemies of God surrounding the Jewish people might catch wind of it and, and mount an opposition more quickly before the people were on board with Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah is, is wise in how he handles this. He, he goes in the night, he plots uh, and, and develops a plan. Notice that he says, I hadn't told anyone about what God had put in my heart to do. What you see here is when Nehemiah heard about the situation in Jerusalem, his heart was burdened. And we know from Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1 that he understood that if God's people would seek him, that he had a plan to to bring them back together in the land. So, So here Nehemiah feels the burden of being used by God for that purpose. And he says, I hadn't told anyone what the Lord had laid on my heart, what was on my heart. And so, Nehemiah has a plan. He's got uh, a, a way to move forward. Now, this is something like a football coach. A football coach making plans. They've got a, uh, a rival. Uh, they're fixing to play a rival. And what does he do? He sends scouts out to go and to look and to watch the other team the week before or a couple weeks before and see what kinds of plays they're running and to see what their strengths are. And then he develops a way to, to deal with those strengths and to try to uh, exploit their weaknesses. And here Nehemiah is developing that kind of plan. What kind of plan can allow us to be successful in seeing these walls rebuilt and seeing the mission furthered? And so, so that's what Nehemiah does. Let's look at verse 17. Then I said to them, and them, of course, is the Jews, the priests, the nobles, uh, the rest who were to do the work in verse 16. You see the trouble that we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Samballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So here in verse 17, Nehemiah addresses the people, addresses the leaders and and the people, and he says to them, see how Jerusalem is a mess. You you see the mess that, that we're in? The fact that there are no walls so that the city's protected? The fact that this place is in ruins? And Nehemiah says, hey, Let's rebuild this place. Let's rebuild the walls. Let's make it where Jerusalem is strong and thriving again. Let's let's make it happen. And then he said to them, guess what? I believe every step of the way God has been at work. Let me tell you what happened when I approached the king. Let me tell you how God answered my prayers that I'd been praying. And so he shared about how God had prepared them for this moment. And then he said, the king has approved of this. That's clear that that God's been at work. The king has approved. And so the people were encouraged, and they said, let's do this. Let's go. Let's let's get after it. And of course, we see those who oppose the people of God. We see Sam Ballad and and Tobiah were introduced to a third uh, enemy, Geshem. Uh, They 
began to make fun of the Jews. <laughs> Look at the city. It's a terrible mess. What do you think you're going to do with it? You're going to, you guys, this ragtag group, you're going to rebuild the walls, really? <laughs> That's ridiculous. And then he begins to say, isn't this really just a rebellion against the king? Probably knowing the history, because before, under King Artaxerxes, the very king that's ruling now, uh, some years before, there was an attempt to rebuild the walls. And the king uh, was told, the people of Jerusalem are rebelling. They're trying to rebuild the walls, and their plan is to rebel against you. And so the king at that time had stopped the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. So these enemies of God, they begin to make that accusation. Isn't that what you're doing? But notice how Nehemiah responds. They knew that the king had supported this mission. It was clear because the military, in a sense, had escorted Nehemiah to Jerusalem. He had come with with horsemen and uh, army officers. So there was no doubt with these official letters with the military that this operation was sanctioned by the king. It wasn't a rebellion against the king. No, it it was authorized. So Nehemiah doesn't say to them, well, hey, the king's authorized it. What does he say? He says, the king has authorized it. The God of heaven is going to to make us prosper. In other words, we are striving to carry out what God has said he wants to do. He wants to bring his people back. He wants to regather them together. And so if you want to start a fight, it's not ultimately with me. The fight is with God. And as for you guys, you have no portion here. You You have no legal claim to Jerusalem. What are you even doing here? This is not any of your concern or business. That's what Nehemiah basically says to them. So as we reflect on these passages, it's clear that that Nehemiah is calling the people to take action, to begin to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Let's look now briefly in Nehemiah chapter 3. Now this is one of those uh, sections of scripture that has a lot of fun names. So let's look, Nehemiah 3. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zachar, the men of Emory built. The sons of Hassane built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired and next to them, Mishalem, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezebel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Banah, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. So what you see, as Nehemiah has said to them, let's rebuild the walls, let's get this this moving, and then what happens? The people begin to work. They begin to rebuild, and here's just a, a glimpse of it. But if you read through the rest of chapter 3, you're going to see that different people took responsibilities for different sections of the wall, and suddenly you see the people of Jerusalem have been mobilized. They're taking action, and this wall is beginning to be repaired. This wall that, that was a devastated mess is beginning to be rebuilt, and the mission is being accomplished. But notice in verse 5, notice these Tekoites. These were the folk who were just a little bit too good to to get out in the trenches, right? The folks, that's a little beneath them, right, to to build the walls here. And so there's always always some opposition, even even when we know this in in a church, when we begin to strive to to serve the Lord, there's some folks who say, it's not for me. I I, I don't need to do that. That's That's for other folks. 
And so, so that happens here. It happens anywhere we, we, we get people together. But what ultimately we, we see as we look at chapter 3 is that by and large, the people here have understood the call to get moving, and the people get moving. And if you read through the rest of chapter 3, you're going to see this person repairing that, this person working on this. And if you look at the final verse, it says, And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Now, incidentally, we started at the sheep gate, and here chapter 3 finishes at the sheep gate, and this is in a sense to show this whole wall is being worked on. This whole wall is being rebuilt and and reconstructed. Incidentally, also notice in chapter 3, verse 1, the high priests and the priests, they get their work clothes on too. They're they're in the trenches doing the work. This is important. Uh, By and large, all of the people of Jerusalem are joining in and understanding the call to build and and to uh, to answer God's call here. So as we think more about these passages, it is clear that believers, those of us who are believers, should take action to further the mission that God has given us. We ought to take action to further the mission that God has given us. Let's consider four essentials to taking action and to furthering the mission that God has given us. First, trust God to be at work as you seek to further the mission. Trust God to be at work as you seek to further the mission. We see this constantly. Nehemiah is saying, God's good hand was on me. He was trusting that God would help him carry out the mission that he had been called to. And you see, when we're on mission with God, we can trust him to work through us. We can trust him to move through us. In fact, when we, when we take this to the New Testament, we think about the New Testament church, what does God do? He gives us the spirit to empower us. The spirit gives us various spiritual gifts to enable us to serve him effectively to enable us to to, to see the mission fulfilled. So we trust him to work. And we recognize that serving Christ can be tough. Answering God's call to be on mission can be tough. It can be be downright discouraging. But Nehemiah's example here, and, and we'll see this in the chapters to come as well, even as they face opposition, they keep going. So even in the midst of difficulty, we do not lose heart. We trust God to be at work. Second, Give sacrificially of your time, your energy, and your resources to further the mission that we've been given. Every single one of us needs to be willing to give sacrificially. Remember that Nehemiah was in a cush situation. He was serving serving in the king's quarters. And he gave up that to come to broken and messed up Jerusalem. Where there were enemies all around them, surrounding them. What was he doing? He was giving sacrificially to answer the call of God. He was, he was giving his life up. And, and all of these folks who suddenly stopped and began to help rebuild the wall, what are they doing? They're giving their time and their energy and what they have. They're bringing it to bear so that the mission might be accomplished. You see, the mission here in chapter 2 and 3 was furthered because the people were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to give their time and to prioritize the mission of rebuilding the wall. Brothers and sisters, unless you're willing to give of your time and your energy and your resources the mission that God has given First Baptist Church Uvalde, it's not going to be furthered. We're not going to to do all that God has called us to do as a body of believers unless we're willing to sacrifice something, unless we're willing to give up something. 
Now, this past week, my daughter decided that she was going to put on a puppet show. And it was a, a, a long ordeal. It started uh, a, some days ago with making puppets. And she took paper sacks and colored them and drew on them. And, and she made her puppets. And then another day, she set a table up and got a sheet over the table. She put chairs out in front to make chairs for the audience. And uh, a, multi, a multi-day uh, project, she gets her puppet show ready, and she insists that, that we sit down. Of course, I had somewhere I had to be. And she's like, Daddy, sit down and watch. And, and it's, always, it's always like that, isn't it? And so Mom and I are sitting there watching, but she was so persistent about this. You've got to see it. She's going to build it. We, hey, wait, honey, we need to take it. No, she wants to do her puppet show. And what I saw is a kindergartner who, who had a plan and who worked persistently toward it. And brothers and sisters, I'm not calling you to commit to a puppet show, but I am asking you, what are you putting your time and your energy into? What is it that you're persevering in? Brothers and sisters, it must be the mission of God. It must be. Many times we dilly around with this or with that and we're, we're doing this and it's fun and we're taking care of that. But we neglect to notice that the walls around us are broken. That there's devastation and hurting people who need to hear about Jesus all around us. But we're too busy planning this and planning that. Folks, we must persevere in the mission. We must be willing to sacrifice our time, our energy, our resources that the mission of God might be furthered. What's the mission? We started with the mission. Remember, it's to go and make disciples. It's to tell people about Jesus and and to help others grow in him. So third, as as we think about uh, essentials for, for, for being on mission with God, third, team up with fellow believers to further the mission. Team up with fellow believers to further the mission. Did Nehemiah attempt to rebuild the wall by himself? Not a chance. There wasn't any way he could do it. Even with God's good hand upon him, he was one man. What was God's plan? God's plan was that the people of God might team up together and work together, that the mission might be accomplished. And that's exactly what's supposed to happen in the church. When you read in the New Testament and and you look at at this idea of spiritual gifts that we've talked about before, you see in 1 Corinthians and uh, 12 and Romans 14. You see this emphasis on the fact that every one of us has a role to play, a responsibility, a calling from God, and a way to serve that the body might be built up. Notice here that the people of God are working together for the mission to be accomplished. There's unity and commitment toward the mission. Now, oftentimes in our day, and we've talked about this countless times, we kind of want to be a believer that focuses on me and Jesus. Well, it's me and Jesus, and I'm good. I don't really, I don't have to connect to a church. I I hear that so often as a pastor. I don't really have to be a part of a church. Um, I just, I'm going to kind of float around here and there. I'll come to worship some because, you know, it's a good idea to do, but I don't really have to have a church. Me and Jesus, we're good. The problem with that is when you read the Bible, and we see it here in Nehemiah, and you can turn to the New Testament and all throughout the New Testament, you're going to find it's not just me and Jesus. That when God adopts you into his family, he intends for you to be a part of a church family. And so this me and Jesus mentality needs to be informed by the word. And it needs to be me and Jesus, 
but it also needs to be me and God's people. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does here. He teams up with the people of God to further the mission of God. And that is exactly God's plan for us today. Not that we dance around on the edges and that we make no commitments. No, God's plan is that we jump in and say, let's get after this. Roll up our sleeves. What's the mission God has given us? And let's move. That's God's plan for us. We need to quit playing games and making excuses. Folks, if you take the Bible seriously, you cannot have a me and Jesus mindset without having a me and the family of God mindset. You can't do it. Nehemiah here makes it clear. The Old Testament, God's always working amidst his people. And in the New Testament, God's always working in the midst of churches, people working together to further the mission. The mission for Nehemiah and his crew was huge. And it could not be accomplished by one man. And brothers and sisters, the mission that God has given us to make his name known here and all around the world and to make disciples is a big, big mission. And it cannot be accomplished with one or two people or a handful of people who are willing to get on board. No, if the mission is going to be accomplished, it's going to require every one of us to say, I'm in, I'm moving forward. And this is what often happens in churches. You get a, a folks who will help, who will serve, and they serve in this area. And then there's a need here, and no one's filling in. And they go ahead and start serving in this area. And before long, they're serving in several areas. And after a while, they burn flat out. And meanwhile, there's so many people who are sitting, twiddling their thumbs, just watching everyone else. Brothers and sisters, the Tekoites shared no joy when the wall was finished. Sure, they might have shared the benefit, but they did not have a part in building the wall. I'm pleading with you today to understand that God is calling you to team up with other believers for the furtherance of the mission of God. We've all heard the expression, many hands make light the work. And brothers and sisters, the mission is huge, and we need many hands We need many, many hands. In fact, we need each other just to live out the Christian life, to become disciples ourselves. We need brothers and sisters who will pray for us and support us and encourage us and walk with us in the midst of the battles of life. We're never meant to do that on our own. Part of the way that we accomplish the mission is by helping each other become disciples. That's where I'm struggling in a certain area, and you pray for me and lift me up. I need that because it's not just me and Jesus. Thank God it is me and Jesus, but it's also me and my brothers and sisters in Christ. So team up and let's get going. Fourth, as we think about answering the mission of God, hold fast to God's promises in the face of difficulty and opposition. Hold fast to God's promises in the face of opposition and in the face of difficulty. Serving God is never easy. Building those walls wasn't easy. Answering God's call isn't easy. You have busy schedules. I know that. And if you're going to say, you know what, I'm in. I'm going to serve. I'm going to pour my life into the furtherance of the mission. It means you're going to have to say no to something else. I know that it will mean that because everyone's lives are brimming over. Everybody's lives are so full. They're more than full. And the last thing we want to do is to think about cramming something else in. But brothers and sisters, God is calling us. God is calling us not to just pour our lives into the pursuits of this world, though those can be a great blessing, but to pour our lives into the furtherance of the mission. 
So if you're going to jump in, what does it mean? It may mean that you have to remove some things from your life. It may mean that you literally have to sacrifice some things that you love, some things that you enjoy so that you can actually have some time to to be involved, to help build the wall. You know, when we serve God, it's always a challenge. Sometimes you may say, you know what, I'm going to help with this children's class. And let's suppose you're helping with this children's class and one of the other people that you're working with is rude to you. And you walk away and go, man, I was trying to help. And then the lady I was working with was rude or somebody. Hey, that's going to happen. We, we need to understand there's always going to be challenges in serving God. Anytime you get people together, me included, there's going to be trouble. Why? Because we're all sinners. We all say things we shouldn't say. We all have attitudes we shouldn't have. It's one of the reasons we need each other so that we can begin to see areas that need to change. So, so don't let... Somebody say something that hurt you. Don't let stuff like that keep you from being involved. No, they're, they're gonna, there's going to be trouble. That's a, that's a reality when you get people together. The church is no different. There's not some magic spell that comes over the church that makes it where everyone when, who's in the church is nice and sweet all the time. We're still sinners. We know that. We, we still have a long ways to go in our process of becoming more like Jesus. So so don't have unrealistic expectations. You're going to serve God. It's going to be frustrating sometimes. You may be teaching a kid's class, and you're teaching. You've taught your heart out. You planned, worked hard, and then you walk out of there and go, I don't think one kid heard a word I said. Haven't you said that before? Brothers and sisters, do not lose heart. God may be using that very frustrating night. You have no idea to plant the gospel in the heart of a small child that will grow one day, and that child will come to know Jesus and be in heaven because of the work that you did. We don't know that. We don't lose heart. We, we keep moving. We move ahead in the midst of the stresses and the difficulties of life. We say, God, I'm in. I'm in on the mission. I'm not going to lose heart. I'm going to keep moving ahead. You see, the mission that God has given us, it's a mission worth bleeding over. It's a mission worth dying over. In fact, we have the perfect example of this because we know that Jesus left the glories and the majesty of heaven and he came to this earth and he lived a life around brokenness and pain and he faced the kind of hardships that we face and ultimately he was nailed to a cross and he suffered and died. I want you to understand he wasn't nailed to the cross ultimately because of corrupt Roman leaders or because of Jewish leaders. But brothers and sisters, he was nailed to the cross because of you and me. If you want to know why Jesus was nailed to the cross, then look in the mirror. That's why. You see, the Bible says that every single one of us is guilty of sin. And because of our sin, we're separated from God. For he is holy and pure and he can't look at sin. And so how does a holy God reconcile a sinful people to himself? Or bring a sinful people into relationship with himself? You know what he did? He took the punishment that I deserve, that you deserve, and he put it upon his son Jesus. So when Jesus was nailed to the cross... It wasn't ultimately because of that Roman leader or that Jewish leader. It was because of you and me and our sin. And Jesus made a way for us to be saved and have a relationship with God. And if we, today, if we call out to Jesus and we say to Jesus, I don't want to go my own way anymore. I believe you came to this earth and you lived and died. I ask you to forgive me and I want to follow you. If we cry out to God and we say that and we mean it, you know what the scriptures say? That we become a part of his family and that he never, ever lets go of us. And that 
is the mission that Jesus went on. And what's the mission that he's called us to go on? To let other people know that good news. That there can be hope. That there can be salvation. I started with a movie and I want to end with a movie. Some of you have seen the the movie We Were Soldiers. Uh, A dramatization of the Battle of La Drang in Vietnam. And before Colonel Lieutenant Hal Moore took his troops into battle, he said to them, I assure you, my boots will be the first onto the battlefield and they'll be the last to leave. You remember this if you've seen the movie. And they go into this horrible battle with terrible odds. They, they, they come into a place where there's thousands of enemy troops surrounding them. And many, many, many lose their lives. Eventually, those who are left are able to to, uh, to escape. And they leave the battlefield and the dead are loaded up. The live load up. And then Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore, he keeps his word. His boots the last on the battlefield. Now, brothers and sisters, where are those men and women saying to God, I'm ready to answer the call Where are those men and women who say, God, I'm in, I'm ready. God, I'm in. My foot's going to be the first on the battlefield. My foot's going to be the last out. I'm that kind of in. Where are those people, brothers and sisters? Let's be those people. By God's power, not in our own strength, but by God's power, as his hand is upon us, let's say to God, you count me in. This wall's going to be built. We're going to see the thousands of people all around First Baptist Church Uvalde who do not know Jesus, who have no church home. We're going to see them reached with the gospel and we're going to see disciples made. And we're going to see the kingdom furthered. And not only that, we're committed to sending teams across the globe. We're committed to, to furthering the mission across the globe. Where are those kind of I'm in people? Let's be those people, brothers and sisters. Let's be those people. Think of a man who's, who's hurting deeply, who's pondering suicide. It may be that you work with him. Or a woman who's in despair with all sorts of broken relationships, struggling with substance abuse. She might be your next door neighbor. Or a college student living it up, making all kinds of crazy decisions right now that, that are going to cost him for the rest of his life if he's not careful. Maybe he's your employee or a little boy or a little girl whose dad is AWOL and whose family is in turmoil. Maybe she's the little girl that plays with your daughter's soccer team. Brothers and sisters, there are hurting people who need to know the reality that there's good news, that there's a God who loves them, and that in him there is hope. But where are those who have understood the call of God to be on mission? Where are they? The walls are crumbling. I believe with all of my heart, the Lord is calling some of you to say, you know what, I'm going to quit kind of dancing on the edges and I'm going to jump in. I'm going to become a part of, I'm going to become a part of this church and I'm going to be in on the mission. And I believe God's calling others 
have maybe kind of been taking a, a time off. Maybe, you, maybe you've been burnt out. But I believe God may be saying to you, it's time to get back. Let's get these walls built. Let's further the mission that God has given. Join me in prayer.